I'm Derek Thompson, longtime writer with The Atlantic magazine on tech, culture, and politics. There is a lot of noise out there, and my goal is to cut through the headlines, loud tweets, and hot takes in my new podcast, Plain English. I'll talk to some of the smartest people I know to give you clear viewpoints and memorable takeaways. Plain English starts November 16th. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, emerging out of the Sarlacc pit of 2021, it's Andy Greenwald! Chris, Happy New Year. You know, in a way, the Sarlacc is our uh, role model because we're all back to outdoor dining. <laughs> That's right. You know, and the pit of Sarlacc has made a meal of it. I'd, Metaphorically I, I and literally also, for I decades. Don't, I don't digest Bounty Hunter well either. Mm, no, no, Very no, it fibrous. burns a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy, it's so beautiful to see your face. We're joined again, as always, by Kaya McMullen. It's 2022, our centenary, you know, our <laughs> centennial anniversary of doing this podcast. I don't think it's, it's been a, that long. That's 100 years. Yeah, I know. Okay. Um, today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what we did over the holidays. Are we going to maybe get into some licorice pizza chat? I think maybe. Are we? Feels are dangerous. Ta- are, is this your new thing? Is you're not going to talk on this podcast? Then we're going to do some. We might do a little licorice pizza. We might uh-huh. do some Boba Fett, and we're definitely doing some Boba Fett, and we'll do a little bit of Station Eleven. So, Andy, it's so it's so great to see you. How you doing? First of all, Chris, great to see you. You still got it, listeners. Chris has been on a journey. I He's really on a spiritual have. journey. He has been balletically, almost matrixy, dancing through the viral bullets of the end of 2020. He's been traveling across the country. He's been dining indoors. He's just been having a great time. And Chris, you look great. You've really yeah, come out the other side of it. I feel like the uh, the Federal Aviation Administration tried to mm. stop me, but they couldn't. They couldn't keep me grounded. Was, it, was that because you wouldn't wear a mask during a flight? No, the flight out to yeah. Philadelphia was a uh, like four hour plus delay. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, and it, the, the it turned into a backdoor red eye, which is just not something you want when you don't book a red eye. Is for your flight to deter- turn into a red eye. And shout out to the the folks at Enterprise at the Philadelphia International Airport at four thirty a.m. Oh my god, <laughs> on Saturday morning when I got there, they had to radio someone to come to rent a car because like I, I don't know where they were in the interim but they were like oh hey what's up like I got a call saying but I had to wait at the at the rental car place for somebody to show up I got a, a Mitsubishi Mirage that barely made it back to my mother's house and then yeah after that it was really just like it was bullet time just avoiding these uh the viral loads I, I gotta say Chris what's nice and I don't know if all of our listeners realize this but um after midnight in December is when you want to be at the Philadelphia International Airport. You know what I mean? Like that's when the most committed just yeah. people, the civic pride is really, really there. That's when the exchange uh, of ideas is at its freshest. Oh my God. I know. It's like the cafe culture of Berlin in the, the period between the wars. Um, and the weather, by the way, really recommends itself then as well. <laughs> Even though it was dark out, I could tell it was totally gray. You know, yes. like oh, yeah. there was no color. Absolutely. Yeah, well, so I nice. went to and Philly, and then I went to I went to New York City. Yeah. And y- did you did you partake of culture during this time? You, did you and mom check I didn't. out anything? You know, we, mom, mom and I watched some movies. We watched some old classics. We watched Don't Look Up, uh, which she enjoyed, and I, I let her enjoy. We watched uh, a couple of other things. And then, and then, yeah, when I went to New York, though, no, no theater for me this time. Um, how Most about of it was it, shut down, though. They were, ta- they were taking some hiatuses. Did you, did you, did you take a schwitz in the East Village? What, what other some yeah, of your favorite? Yeah, I went favorite- to the Turkish baths. <laughs> <laughs> Picturing all your favorite things to do. Fully nude in, except in for New the York. mask, you know? <laughs> right. 
Right. Well, no one said where you had to wear the mask. I, I did walk that's... by that place uh, in the East Village, and I thought I was like, mm-hmm. I wonder what the vibe is right, right now. <laughs> I mean, Do you think that they are outside of oversight by the city? You mean like they got grandfathered in by? Yeah, a bunch for of people who don't know, there is a is it a Russian bathhouse or a Turkish bathhouse that's on like Sixth or Seventh Street? In, in I, I think it's Russian. I think Turkish baths are what Kareem Abdul Jabbar talks about in Airplane. I maybe that's prison. I'm sorry, I, I I'm mixing it up. But yeah, it's a Russian bathhouse that I, I, it, it, let me say this. They didn't have a closed sign on, but I didn't get the feeling like it was welcoming to any looky loos or passerbys. Yeah. I mean, look, we, we, we loved, we love to laugh and and, and joke around. Obviously things are pretty uh, dire out there uh, health wise at the moment, but I think, I hope it's also reflective of what might be kind of a a shifting perception of, of this virus and its role in our life that like people who hopefully everybody's gotten boosted, everybody's taking care of themselves and people are doing okay. And people want to live their lives. And that's kind of, it's kind of an interesting inflection point. I mean, I think that what is more powerful than COVID? Is it um, that horse medicine? No. Is it Spider-Man No Way Home? Yes. Like people (laughs) ran a calculation and they were like, I would rather, I I want to see Spider-Man. And if the price of the ticket is 1995 and the price of the popcorn is this, and it's also... Uh, COVID, I will pay that price. I saw, right? I saw Spider-Man while I was home. Yeah. And, and I, I, I had a similar experience. Um, and I know one of your favorite places and many tourists favorite places, the In-N-Out Burger by LAX <laughs> where, um, people wanted their double doubles and they wanted to approach this virus animal style. You know what I mean? Like it was, it, it, we've reached the point and I, I don't know, this isn't the platform for it. This isn't, this, this isn't Derek Thompson's excellent podcast. This is this is not for a place where you get like data journalism. But I, I I have seen the most like, yes, I have a mask and there's a string on the mask and that string is on my body. Mm-hmm. But God damn you, I will not cover my breathing <laughs> holes like that energy from from in place, like not at like the Talladega Speedway. You know what I sure. mean? Like in places that I that I might otherwise expect to see people complying. So this is where we're at. Like the in and, and out uh, at LAX. I would hope so. <laughs> you know, that is generally a place where I think people from all walks of life and travelers and people leaving, people coming, they all come together there to get their to get their burgers. What about you? How is your how is your break? Oh, you know, did you did you detoxify great. from from all of like visual media? Did you did you triple down and, and catch up on stuff you'd missed? Well, as you know, and as Kaya now knows, I am uh, on week two of my of my uh, news cleanse, my TL cleanse. I'm off Twitter. I'm off the news feeds. So again, all everything I just said about the state of the world, pure hearsay. Yeah, right. <laughs> based, based on like a couple like Instagram stories from people I follow because they make ramen. You know what I mean? So I could be wildly off. Um, yeah, I, I, I watched some movies. I watched some, some 2021 releases. Um, some good, some, some not good. Did a little criterion diving, caught up on some mainstream content that I missed, like, like Shang-Chi, mm-hmm. which was definitely a Marvel movie. Sure. Um, I would definitely say that about it. And, um, you know, pretty much kept it light. It, it really rained a lot in Los Angeles. I don't oh, know yeah. if people know that. That, no, that, that is a weird thing here. When it I happens. heard about I know it's that. good. I did not keep it light. I uh, immersed myself in the Sheridan verse even deeper than I had already been. Wow. And I was already the guy who was like hanging out at the bottom of the pool <laughs> with the <laughs> scuba gear on. But I caught up on Mayor of Kingstown. So I'm up to date on that. That was like four or five hours. Well, here's the thing is I was going to watch Kingstown on the plane and on the plane back to Los Angeles. And I had like iPad ready to go and I had downloaded the episodes from Paramount Plus. And then the guy next to me started watching The Martian. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? That looks pretty good. I'm going to watch The Martian too. So I watched The Martian instead, like 20 minutes behind the guy next to me. And then as The Martian ended for him, I was still going. He started watching the Jesse Eisenberg magic film, Now You See Me. Oh, which one? There are two of those. The first one, the OG. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I haven't seen that what? since I was what? in the theaters. <laughs> I think I'll watch Now You See Me. So this guy had me basically like I was just screen stalking him across the nation. Can Do you I, think that's I, weird? I, Would you get bothered by that, you think? Yes. I think this is one of the weirdest things you've ever admitted to. The least the weirdest since you said that you hang out at the bottom of pools wearing scuba gear, waiting to be discovered 
by children who like no, drop their it, action figures. It was a metaphor for my immersion in the Taylor Sheridan uh-huh. sure. <laughs> project. A moment later, you were just shadow watching a dude's screen. Was he a TikTok influencer? Like, no, wait, he Chris, was just like some guy. Also, this is not good look for a podcaster. Like your thing should be you come on the mic and you're like, ladies and gentlemen of the, ju- of the jury, here's what you should watch. You are so suggestible that on a delayed American Airlines flight, a man watching a magic movie from eight years ago holds sway over you. Let me tell you I'm, something, I'm, though. I'm, I'm really, I was yeah. not the weird one in that aisle because okay. the two people in my aisle did uh-huh. not stir for six plus hours across the country. They sat, they watched their movies, they had two sips of soda. I, the, the, people can eat or drink as much as they want. The idea of not getting up to pee or stretch on a cross-country flight, that's Dahmer behavior to me. <laughs> do, you, do you think they had like like recirculatory suits that were like taking in some of their, their, <laughs> right. their liquids and just like, <laughs> like pushing them back through? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. No? I don't know. So I, I'm going to ask the follow-up that our audience wants to know. Um, did you get caught? Uh, he started watching the Matrix movie on his phone. So I don't know whether he was like enough of this shit. Did you start or... watching it on his phone too? <laughs> I was just like, this is a good part. Did you guys just start high-fiving? <laughs> no. But then when I got home and over the last week, I watched like four or five episodes of Mayor of Kingstown, which uh, I honestly I honestly think is like an, an amazing show. I, I don't know if it has any morally redeeming qualities. I would never ask you to watch it. I think you would be deeply, deeply offended by it. But is currently, and this is not really a spoiler because it's set in and around the prison system. It's currently in a two episode arc of a prison riot, yeah. uh, which will get concluded in the finale, which comes out uh, Sunday. And I think it's just a really, really, really interesting show because it has the bones of like a CBS show, but it also has some elements of um, like low winter sun era, like anti hero TV. Yeah. But also has like a pretty compelling amazing central performance from Renner like it is it is definitely like almost probably as good as he's been since her locker so here's a question I have for you um and I apologize like listeners like I I I know that we are not fully covering the Sheridan verse in a way that those of you who partake are are uh it's not the way you're demanding it's not what you want here's where we are the question I have for you about it is um Everybody knows that these shows are massively successful. Yeah. And 1883, the Yellowstone prequel, did which to just 1883 like, is legitimately awesome. Like, I, well, I actually do want you to try and watch that. It's I will. It has like mind blowing S- numbers. Lonesome Dove meets Sicario. It's really good. Okay, you got me. You got yeah. me. Y- you to me are like the random guy was to you. <laughs> like, I'm going to follow you a little bit behind, a little bit creepy. But the the thing that I'm curious about it, and I'll watch it. Maybe we'll continue the conversation. Is that the the Conver- the, the the dialogue around the Sheridan shows now seems to be like sleepy, navel-gazing, liberal Hollywood slowly waking up to these numbers and being like, huh, America like TV show? What? Yeah. And I feel like that's not really the story here because first of all, everyone in America is watching TV all the time. So relax, don't worry about it. But two, with the way you just described Kingstown, I worry that people are doing what I'm doing, which is to say opining without watching the shows, but maybe taking the wrong lessons here, because it doesn't seem to me that these shows are particularly um, dumb in any way, or that these shows are particularly red state bait, that they they are in fact a different kind of alchemy that is popular to a large number of people. And clearly a large number of people, not just in the middle of the country, but everywhere in the country. So- Unbelievably, you've made it season of television. Currently, like in the in the calendar year, Taylor Sheridan yeah. will have had 10 episodes of Yellowstone go up, which I don't like the last season of Yellowstone was not very good. I talk about it with Rosillo almost every week on the Prestige TV podcast. We'll do one tomorrow for the finale. I'll save my thoughts for then. He did 10 episodes of Mayor of Kingstown, and he'll have done 10 episodes of 1883 by the time this run is over. He also wrote and directed the Angelina Jolie movie, Those Who Wish Me Dead, and wrote the script for the Michael B. Jordan, uh, Tom Clancy adaptation, Without Remorse. So I don't know where he finds the time. I don't know what his, how he does it. I was trying to come up with like a unified theory of the Sheridan verse or a unif- like what are his sort of like major oc- preoccupations. And you can yeah. see some of them. But I think that the thing that I would stress to people is not all they're not all the same thing. Like, I think Yellowstone has different qualities in 1883. Um, Kingstown has different qualities than both. Kingstown is very much 
Um, I don't know. It feels like on the continuum from like Oz and more like the Tom Fontana, David Simon school than it does. I don't know. Like th- then it, f- then it is some sort of like, um, carceral state porn where it's just like, it's dope to imprison people. It's not like that at all. And I think his, his, like his political, uh, leanings, if they are, if you want to call them that are a little bit more nuanced than they get credit for. What do you think, if you could boil it down, though, what is the, is, is the secret sauce that he doesn't hold back? And I mean that in terms of, like, pushing tons of plot, pushing tons of extremity in his storytelling. And that's very appealing because we've gotten a, we've gotten a little bit reserved and thinky in our prestige television. Or is, it the, or is it more where we started, which is, yeah, like, shit pops off on yeah. these shows, plus... They come out every week with a lot of people on them. You know what I mean? Like it, it is that reliability factor, which which does matter. So this will actually segue into the next thing I think we wanted to talk about, which was Boba Fett, which is that his yeah. shows do not feel safe. Like when you're watching them, it does. It's not necessarily like oh anything could happen or some big twist or a character could die. It just feels like the scenarios that are playing out, the decisions that people make. I wouldn't in any way say that they are lifelike to me, but they do feel organically like almost operating without a net. And it does feel like almost anything could happen on these shows and they don't, and he doesn't make very safe choices. Now, some of them are satisfying on a primal level and some of them might be a little bit barbaric, but they don't necessarily feel uh, safe. Whereas like, I think that, you know, we're used to watching a lot of TV that is made for a very mass audience, especially like the year we've had of talking about Marvel and Star Wars shows. And this isn't a shot at those things, but those are made for seven-year-olds and for 70-year-olds. Like, they want to appeal mm-hmm. to everybody who has a passing interest in this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, watching something like Boba Fett, one of the things that I kind of felt, at least in this first episode, which I thought was enjoyable in some ways, was just that, like, somehow this thing that I think that is a beloved character who people have thought about a lot for the decades, this feels like it's almost weirdly the safest execution of this. Like, it doesn't feel like there's anything surprising or challenging about it. Yeah, well, I, I, I want to put a placeholder in because what you're saying about feeling safe um, is why I love Station Eleven. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about the most recent episodes at the end of this pod. So we'll come back to that point. So with Boba Fett, um, I agree with you. I think that one thing to remember is that the idea of Boba Fett has always been so much more powerful and resonant and significant than the lived reality of Boba Fett. (laughs) Boba Fett has been born aloft on the shoulders of an entire dorky generation, ours, who fell in love with the original Star Wars movies, had the action figures, and were just absolutely messianically drawn to the coolest looking character of all, Mm -hmm. who had almost no backstory and definitely no face. Um, you could project anything onto Boba Fett and by far the best action figure because he looked like he could kick ass. Like yeah. He had a rocket in his backpack, right? And a blaster. And you could easily use him in any kind of action figure game with any set of, maybe he could be in the G.I. Joe-verse. Now, don't get ideas, Hollywood. This is the problem with everything. But I'm literally talking about in 1984. If you were just a basic, I watched the three movies guy, yeah. like Boba Fett, a little bit of a paper tiger. You know, like kind of came out of the Midwest region with the one seed, but played not like a very competitive non-conference schedule and then gets smoked the first time he actually has to fight somebody. I feel like you're trying (laughs) to say that Markel Fultz is Boba Fett and it's really bothering me. Like I, 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 that makes me sad. Um, So yes, there's no way to satisfy that kind of, decades-long yearning for this coolness to be made manifest in some form. Um, That said, I'm going to begin maybe from the different place, which is with the positives here. Yeah. Because... that's This is the new you. 2022 Andy. (laughs) That's right. And also, I should say, I have no idea if people like the show or not. Negative for COVID, positive for positivity. (laughs) It's hope. I... I know nothing about how the show's been received off Twitter. No idea. But um, I, I really... I think the takes have been varied. Okay. Well, yeah. I, I really 
continue to admire the what started as the Favreau Filoni approach to this stuff, and now it's Robert Rodriguez, who's a a, a really smart, inspired partner in crime uh, for this show in particular and for this type of story. Which is they really are going back to, in a way, spiritually, what inspired George Lucas in the first place, which is like the old adventure serials of when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. One thing that you will not find in either The Mandalorian or Boba Fett is big stars, um, which I think is kind of great. It They feel really old-fashioned in the sense that you have these kind of aging gunslingers just messing around and moving as slow as they need to. And Tamira Morrison, 60-year-old New Zealander, scarred face, slow-moving, slow-moving corpus, you know, like... There's a lot of Jonathan Banks and Breaking Bad energy coming mm-hmm. off of him. Ming-Na Wen, who we've loved on TV and movies for years. By the way, 58 years young. Looks amazing. Jennifer Beals shows up in this episode. She does. It's the same kind of, we're just going to tell an old-fashioned story approach that really worked in Mandalorian. And, you know, it, it, it pretty much works here. The setup is a good one. It is, to your point, not particularly exciting or inspired because... Boba, nor neither Boba nor nor we are young anymore. You know what I mean? So this is like, okay, so it's he's taken over a crime lord's throne and he's 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 trying to, you know, do things a different way. We get it. This is an old story, but none of these stories have ever been new. I think the 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 reason why I ultimately felt a little flat about it was because it is just such a for as much as this is an old-fashioned story and a timeless story, it's such a profoundly 2020s story mm-hmm. in that. It is the best case scenario for something that is absolutely saddled with backstory and continuity and history. And, you know, Patton Oswald and Parks and Rec really wanted to see the inside of the Sarlacc pit. I, I, I can't believe that we who probably dreamed of this day got to see the inside of a Sarlacc pit. Yeah. But the you know the Did methodical it live up to this, your expectations. Did you think? It oh, was and gonna... and and more and more. You know, it was everything that I wanted. Uh, combined my favorite aspects of the classic Dennis Quaid Martin short film Inner Space with the scene where Mr. Creosote bazooka barfs in Monty Python and the Meaning of Life. So right. all the cultural touchstones got touched. Amazing. Um, combination of references there but you know what i mean just like just like the the methodical climbing out and then he has this thing with the uh the the the, what are they called the raiders i I forget uh tuscan Um, raiders yeah yeah and like by the way tuscan raiders sounds like diane Diane lane and a crack squad of truffle hunters (laughs) you know what i mean take to the streets of siena to exploit the best of central italy okay it just has to tell that story too you know and it feels kind of clunky to get there it's, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with it i think that people are probably tired of us saying this and it's just we yearn for and will continue to yearn for stories that can stand on their own and merit being told and there's no reason to suggest that this isn't going to pivot into something kind of interesting about I'm not, yeah, the, the jury the jury is still sequestered on boba fett but i think you're hitting a, an important point there though which is essentially that like this is a an incredibly enigmatic character And when you start exploring, um, when every sort of tertiary secondary character in a popular story all of a sudden warrants their own deep dive, which traditionally in television shows, you would just do that within the show. Like, you know, if you really wanted to spend an episode with Saeed from Lost or something like that was what was kind of revolutionary about Lost was that like it should just be the Jack show, but instead it's everybody else's show too, right? Like, but in, in, in this sort of way we make things now. And it's like even seeing like there's like two or three Hawkeye spinoffs and I like parts of Hawkeye. I don't know that I want to have like three shows about like three different characters from Hawkeye, but they kind of starts to... Did did they announce that? I I think there's an Echo show. I would imagine there will be another Kate Bishop show. Linda and, Cardellini, Life on the Farm. That's yeah, the show I'm going like, for. Yeah, or like if they're rebooting Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I don't know, but like okay. it seems like they certainly are suggesting that. But my point was more just like, it, t- it takes away the art of the supporting character if every supporting character is actually just their own spinoff waiting to happen. And I do think that part of my like love of the first Star Wars movie was the brief moments where you see 
the you know the Tuscan Raiders or whatever, and then you are left to your own imagination to wonder about who and what these people are and what they're doing. And Boba was like the the perfect example of that. It's like, what's this guy's deal? Who does he work for? Why doesn't he talk? All this stuff. And I know that there has been decades of cartoons and novelizations and everything that goes on to explain that and there's stuff in the prequels that explains it. I'm just saying that like for me, I hope we don't lose the possibility of having like a uh, an unexplained mystery or an, an enigmatic character who's like briefly on screen or just yeah. kind of interacts with this world and then moves on. We don't have that anymore. I mean, when I say that the that the Favreau and Rodriguez stuff was inspired, it is. I think that the most crucial point person is Filoni, right? Who is clearly a creative force to be reckoned with and has spent decades just, you know, dedicatedly farming this pretty arid soil left behind by George Lucas, right? Like finding all of the enigmatic things and all of the the potential that was left dying on the vine in the prequels and just nurturing it. And from that got these series that, you know, that that fans adore and and friends and colleagues like Mallory and uh, you know a lot of the Ringerverse people especially um absolutely love and it gets us characters like Ahsoka who's getting a spin-off in mm-hmm. this live action world as well and that's the feeling that that I get from these shows that it doesn't it's not upsetting it's not bad it's just it's different which is to say the side story is the story. Mm -hmm. The side story is everything. The world, I mean, in in retrospect, it seems insane that we lived in a time when the most culturally dominant property of our life was allowed to just sit fallow for almost two decades at a time because the person who created it didn't feel like doing it. I mean, how insane is that? And during that time, there were all these novels and comic books and then eventually these TV series and things, you know, all of which were wink, wink, not official, but some people came to love them as much as, if not more, as the main thing. And then, you know, starting with the sale to Disney and the sale of everything to Disney, like, it, it looks quaint. Now, honestly, it looks quaint. It's like growing up in black and white times when all yeah. of this wasn't uh, monetized and exploited. And, and frankly, exploited isn't the right word because it's being done beautifully. I mean, that's the other thing that I, I thought, as I think when I watched The Mandalorian, like, is it just weird how easy it seems to do this now? I mean, they ha- the work they do on this fabled uh, LED screen studio in Manhattan Beach is just stunning. I was re-watching some of the sequences of this show while watching it, like when they're ch- they get it. So Boba and, and Fennec get attacked in the town square and then, mm-hmm. then she chases after some of them and they're jumping from rooftop of building to rooftop to building. Yeah, and parkour I'm like, coming back. But, but I'm like, where? So how much of this was real? Like where? Okay, so they built this building and they filmed it from three angles. And this is just pure Robert Rodriguez, right? Who made a movie for $7,000 at the start of his career. Like it's remarkable and it looks beautiful and it looks as good as anything that they've released as a Star Wars movie. And this is just what it is now. And they are servicing high quality content to people who love it. And maybe this is a way of saying, I'm not sure if we're going to be covering this show week to week. I haven't said that to you, but I don't know what yeah, I'm not sure what I, there's I to say. About I don't it. think people need us to be like we're lukewarm on this for every week. I was just uh curious to get your thoughts about it. I was also I, really curious to see like this feels a little bit more like I first of all, I can't believe that like the Mandalorian house style has just become such a thing in such yeah. a short amount of time. I do think we are discounting that part of the reason why the Mandalorian was such a huge crossover hit literally was the fucking baby, you know? Like that was like a hugely whether aside from the fact that it was memed to death, it was like people like my wife who was like, "That's fucking." Cute. Oh my god! You know, what you I mean? should. You by the way, for people who think that I am, I am jaded. Uh, during this break, my family and I were staying with friends. Uh, friends were there. We were staying in their home. Well, they didn't know we were in their home, but we know where they keep the key. <laughs> Have you seen the strangers? Yeah, <laughs> like, uh, Max. Don't listen to this part of the podcast. Anyway, um, it's not. Have you seen Funny Games? I think that's probably the better. Um, because I haven't. I just like to make the reference. <laughs> so I, I, we're staying there, and there was not one, but two stuffed baby Yodas. Mm-hmm. And my children, who have never seen The Mandalorian. Or have they seen know, Star Wars? Uh, the older one has seen Star Wars. Okay. Doesn't care too much about okay. it, but has seen it. Um, they both know who that is. They both know it's baby Yoda. They both are completely enchanted. They love it. They think it's the greatest thing. So cute. So fun. 
my wife is like, this is insidious. Like, this is how they, this is, you know, this is, this is like capitalism uh-huh. writ large. You make it and, sound like you're married to Eileen Miles. Like <laughs> your, boy, your boy was like, let me stop you there. I actually believe that this was a pure act of creation. Mm-hmm. Remember when season one of Mandalorian hit, they didn't, Disney didn't have baby Yoda toys in the chamber. Yeah. They did not plan for this. They did not realize what they had done. They didn't see it coming. I do think that it was as cynical as it seems now, a pure idea of Favreau and kind of beautiful at that. And that's remarkable and amazing. And particularly at this moment, but I also think it comes back to something that did, we will you, be checking for. Did you talk your wife into it? Did, was she like, I see your point. Great, great job. Now I, yeah, I'm but on. then she was like, I don't <laughs> think that Bob Chapek can continue the unprecedented shareholder growth and return on investment as Bob Iger. And I was yeah. like, I can't argue with you. There. He's going to have to I, pivot to gambling. You know? I, 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 I'm really, exactly. Um, the thing about Mandalorian, especially season one, is that it created a simple, back-of-the-napkin, compelling narrative reason for it to exist. This guy, this suit, we don't even really see his face, has to care for this cute baby. And mm-hmm. that's the show. And then it allowed us to do all these other things until it ran, you know, face first into um, Luke Skywalker. And we'll see what happens after that. But this show has yet to make in its first episode, it doesn't make that compelling point. It doesn't necessarily need to. It's it's a cool, it's a cool old guy doing old guy stuff. You know, that's that's that in and of itself is pretty neat. Um, but it's fine. And maybe that's the benchmark for a lot of the stuff now. Seems fine. We can take a break there, and when we come back, we'll discuss the episodes six and seven of Station Eleven. And if you haven't seen those, we will be doing spoilers in those episodes. Okay, man, we're back. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about Station Eleven, episodes six and seven. So six is largely uh, a, I guess, year twenty Kirsten story of her wandering through the woods with. Tyler the prophet and then episode seven is a flashback episode or I guess a a year zero uh, story of young Kirsten in this Chicago apartment with Jeevan and Frank as they wait out the original like the early days of the of the apocalypse essentially can I pick a place to start here it's not spoilery for these two episodes yet I do want to say I am on kind of a internet fast in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, but I do occasionally check in with our, our Facebook group, the fans, the people, Voice of the Streets. The, the only internet you get. Yeah, and everything from, seems yeah. fine there too. Everybody <laughs> yeah. just seems cheerful. <laughs> I, I don't see what anyone's talking about. I, 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 gotta, I, I gotta just make two points, two blanket points. Um, one, I think it's pretty great that people are like, we don't know if we agree with Chris and Andy on this show. Mm-hmm. We are not here to rubber stamp your takes. You know what I mean? Like this is awesome. You like you I, like I, the pushback, yeah. I, I appreciate that, I, but I and I hope it's being embraced and celebrated. And and it's been interesting that some people are are with us on the show, and some people are on the fence. Some people have been you know feeling it more like a slow burn, and some people are are out on it. The thing that I I have to say because it bugs me because I've seen it a bunch for years now. I wish we got HBO payola. I wish we did. I think that because HBO was an initial investor in The Ringer when it was a Bill Simmons media project or whatever, that people assume that Casey Bloys or John Stanky has, has, a, has a bat phone to us, and it would be a, a bat phone because of the Warner Media property. That's right. Um, Just respect the brand. <laughs> I, think, I, I think we are lucky that some people at HBO listen to our show, but no one has ever, 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 ever asked us to say anything about anything. I kind of could use the extra scratch this holiday season. I wish they had. Um, but you're they swimming haven't. in all this baby Yoda stuffed animals you had to buy after that I had trip. to buy so much. But no, there, it, it, there are no ulterior motives. We love this show and we continue to love the show. And I think that, you know, and I, I realize how funny this sounds. I'm about to say like the show everyone thought we were going to pick as our number one is the HBO show Succession. <laughs> Ultimately, and I, I don't want to speak for you, but um, what it came down to for me was something you were alluding to at the very beginning when you were talking about the Sheridan shows. Succession is so masterful, and it and 
it in many ways is just the zenith of every particular category of acting of writing of sumptuous production values of execution over the course of a season it's it's really hard to find a fault in it and easily could make the case and we probably did make the case week after week with our devoted pods to it why it was the best show of the year but station 11 goes in such surprising humanistic unexpected unsettling directions it it its ceiling is so it doesn't have the ceiling i guess is what i'm saying mm-hmm. succession can surprise in the elegance with which it tells its story or it rev- plays its last card as it did in the finale right but there is nothing in succession and it's ridiculous by the way to say this like as if i can't have a number 1 without denigrating number 2 but for the sake of this argument there is nothing that made me feel like i was leaving my body on succession the way frank suddenly rapping tribe called quest in episode 7 of station 11 did sure that's not safe that's borderline insane and it was it was transcendent do you think that's because that excursions means a lot to you too do you think it's because in the face of something like total despair you might have a moment of creativity and inspiration and love for the creative human spirit like what do you think it was that you reacted to about that? i think it's a number of things i think that fundamentally what i think this is what i'd like it to be and i think this is at least partially true i think that um human beings particularly human beings emotional responses are inexplicable and they are unpredictable and often jarring and shocking and not at all what anyone would have expected and that is our lived experience with with them and i think that increasingly not just because of the corporatization and and synergy that we that is a part of our conversation about boba fett but also just because of the margins the the amount of money it costs to make a show the amount of money you could stand to lose if you have a chance to make a show but if it doesn't work or if you're getting you're not listening to the notes Everything in the actual making of TV at this moment, or making of anything on a large scale, pushes you towards the explicable. Always. Always. Do we need to underline this? Do the audience going to understand this? Can they relate to it? Maybe we should just make it a little clearer with a flashback. Maybe we should just make sure that everyone understands everything on the screen at every moment, um, whether it's to fuel a future spinoff or just to make sure no one feels nervous and changes the channel here. That's what the machine is, you know? And so to go into it, it, it so the, there's a, there's an element of risk-taking in the storytelling of Station Eleven. And I'm not just saying this because we know Patrick, we're excited to welcome him onto the pod to talk about it later this month. But in that moment, that was the last thing I ever would have expected from, from the character of Frank or, or from the show. And, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful performance all across the board and, and and the performance is rooted in a kind of watchful pensive stillness right because it's not only because it's getting colder but because frank seems to be understanding where this is going before anyone else does mm-hmm. so for him to just like erupt everything about it screamed like this wasn't going to happen right because even when he sits down he's like I've, I've found something and we're like oh well we get it he's he's losing his mind right no, he's the only one not losing his mind in that moment, you know? I levitated. I levitated when that happened. I was just so thrilled and delighted. And I was like, yeah, this is my number one. This is my number one because I want I want TV to make me feel like this, even if, and nothing can make me feel like this for 10 hours, but I want it to try. It's, it, you know, if it had been me, I probably would have done Mob Deep's Drop a Gem on him at that table. And I think it would have been a much different vibe, you know? <laughs> I think it would have, but I think you would have sold it equally well. Thank you. All, you know, you... <laughs> I agree with everything you're saying. Uh, I think that the thing that number seven, episode seven, really made me think about was uh, it is not a unique story by any means. The sort of uh, the post-apocalyptic road movie, the road story, the idea of people trying to survive under these extreme circumstances uh, in the face of of terrible odds, trying to persevere. There's something about what they've chosen to show and chosen to focus on that I love so much because, you know, even that those closing moments of the episode, which ends, I think, partially because of the score, it ends on such like an almost optimistic or inspirational note, even though we've lost a character that we love so much in Frank. And by is, the way, I didn't say the name Naban Rizwan. I, I, sh- I don't know why I yeah. didn't. He's a genius and people 
maybe you realized before I did, he was the star of the pilot of industry, a show yes. we love. And this yeah. kid, he's only 25. Like this guy's, this guy's a star. He's awesome. And I, you know, I don't know. I, I guess I'm trying to say that like, I feel like there are moments in Station Eleven where you're like, yes, I could see that being in this show or this movie or this novel or whatever. But there's something that they, the specific people who made Station Eleven are choosing to focus on. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain spirit that they're choosing to celebrate. And there's a certain honesty with which they're telling their story that feels unique to all of those stories. I, I, I don't know if I'm doing a good job of explaining myself. I guess I'm just thinking like, you know, you were talking about succession and I think a lot, we've, we've discussed this before, but so much TV watching now is about answering a question, getting to a destination. And even though Station Eleven is a limited series, even though we only have a couple of, of them left to talk about, I don't feel any rush to get somewhere. There's nothing I need to know that I didn't already find out from the show. I may, you know, more things may be revealed. I may learn something else about myself or about art or life or whatever in the last couple of episodes, but it's not about like this kind of false binary of like, will this or won't this happen? And if not, then what does this mean for X? It's like, this is just, this is just like this incredible portrait. You can feel the frame around the art and I'm happy to be within the framework. It's the frame. I'm glad you used that word. That's the word I was going to use too. That might be, I don't know if it's the hardest thing to do when you're making a show or, or, or adapting something, but, um, in many ways, it's the most important decision you can make. Um, and to your point, I, I don't, the, the frame here is so artfully done and it's so subtly done. I, I don't think that in episode 10, they're going to solve the virus. I don't think they're going to hit the reboot button on Chicago and bring it back. Nor do I think they're going to say like, oh, this is why the virus happened. The show has so skillfully steered us away from all that and unburdened itself from that. You know right. what I mean? I think in our quest to have so many questions to answer in the the fiction that we enjoy, we forget that nothing, whether it's a five season show or it's a 10 episode show, can answer all of the questions. It doesn't work like that. And that, again, I'm sorry to keep beating up on it. It, it was a noble, I don't know if it was a failure, it was a noble attempt. But one of the reasons why Why the Last Man never took flight for me was because the the frame was wrong. It was global. And it was trying to be macro and micro in a way that didn't really suit it. You know, we saw the world before, but then it seemed like a, a mystery why this thing happened. So we're going to solve the virus, but also solve society and also look backwards and forwards at the same time. No, I don't think that's possible. It's ambitious. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they shouldn't try. But that was, there's something about the relative modesty of this show that I appreciate. And and why, I frankly, I love the fact that it is, to a degree, tiny town. That everyone the was seven connected. people in this show are connected to one another and also super important yeah across timelines yeah because first of all they're super important to our show but they're not necessarily important to the fate of what's left of the united states or planet earth or even the great lakes region we don't know it's just a couple people making a few people happy right it's such an important metaphor in the show that the internet's gone the ability to communicate, you know, send photos, do all this stuff. No, the the aperture just got a lot smaller in terms of what matters to be a human in the world. And the show doesn't really deviate from that. It kind of takes it as its own calling. And so you can take pleasure in these small little moments that, again, many people probably saw coming. But the revelation in episode six, that the Museum of Civilization is the Severn City Airport. Mm-hmm. And so we know old Clark's coming you know, and all, all those bills are coming due. Of course, that's what it is. None of this, they haven't traveled very far. And the beauty and the majesty of the show is that it goes from those opening scenes where people are flying across the world for logistics, right? To just leaving an apartment building becomes like the odyssey. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 and that's, that's remarkably done. But I, I love what you said, because there are three episodes left. I haven't read yeah, the book. I mean, in I another no show, we would be learning, we would get every step of Jeevan and Kirsten's journey. Mm-hmm. We would find out, like, the red bandanas would be marauding them. We would find out so mm-hmm. much more about, like, whatever antagonists are out there. And instead, it seems to be about something a little bit left of center. And it's it's really, it's really inspiring. So, with all that said, because we love the show, it's our number one show, episode six was... I don't know if it was the weakest episode to date, because again, this is my favorite show of the year, but I'm curious your take on it. Do you find 
the specific circumstances of the traveling symphony in year 20 as compelling as the earlier stuff, as the breakdown of society, as the characters that we met then. I, I think that the, 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 the most jarring thing of the show, and I look forward to talking to Patrick about how he tried to finesse this or manage it, is, is basically like, okay, so now it's this world. Remember, we're here again, and, mm-hmm. and people carry knives, and a- anything, stepping on glasses can be fatal. I guess, you know, so that's, a, that's an interesting question. I think that I'm probably more attracted to the Chicago stuff just because that obviously resembles a world closer to the one that we're living in right now. For And you love uh, Touch and Go Records and Math Rock. Right. And- um, I think I, I've, I've heard some people just kind of be like, oh, I don't really vibe with the Traveling Symphony stuff. Mm-hmm. It just feels a little bit deadhead-ish to me. I appreciate how specific it is and how it's like, what if this group of theater kids kind of found their own tribe together and we're moving through the countryside. I never really stopped to ask the questions about like, how are they sustaining themselves? And, and, and you know, like all, all those sort of things that I think go into a lot of, of genre fiction where you start to like kind of need a lot of the world built up. I think that the way in which the show's moving kind of elides it. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I think that um, of the, all the different timelines and characters that we've encountered, I think that that's the one that I have the least connection to thus far. But, you know, I, I think that it's hard to remember a show that has woven its timelines together so artfully and so well so that it doesn't feel isolated. You know, I, I think that maybe what I'm experiencing is unfamiliar because generally in a show like this, the present day which in the case of the show, I guess is year 20, is the Traveling Symphony stuff, is the show. And everything else is the flashback to the show. And I think what what Patrick and his collaborators are doing here is something a little bit more challenging, which is to say that all of this is the show. And all of this is the now and is the present and matters equally. And I think that um, probably the most brilliant demonstration of that was the bridge from six to seven. Mm-hmm. Because six ends with Kirsten getting shot, uh, with poisoned, the yeah. knocked out. And comes to talking to her younger self, dying from poison, apparently, and then relives as a spectator, as a audience member in the theater of the 80-day nightmare. Well, it's not always a nightmare. It certainly ends as one in, uh, in Frank's apartment. Right. And I just thought that was, again, it, it's, it's maybe it's more subtle or it's more structural than Frank rapping Tribe Called Quest over a chopped up homemade sample. But it was as fearless as that to me. Uh, it was a way to draw everything even closer together in a bow and make it all feel as important. I, I wonder whether really or not, I mean, done. you and I, I'm waiting till I'm finished the show to read the book, but I wonder whether or not some of the prophet child army stuff gets explained in the novel in a way that maybe it isn't in the show. I'm not, I'm yeah, not sure though. I, yeah. The thing that I and, I, and this is just pure me watching it. We can ask him about it. Kirsten goes to kill Tyler because Tyler sent children strapped with landmines into and King, stole Alex, yeah, to potentially steal, tried to steal Alex, but then mm-hmm. blew up Gil and blew up children to do it. I guess he says something, and I should rewatch it, but he says something along the lines of like, "When I was, I control the story, and when I was really hurt by you stabbing every part of me but my kidney, <laughs> I lost control of the story, and they kind of freelanced." I feel like he communicates something like that. Right. That's a pretty big, like, my my bad, but not really my bad, you know, to stay alive. Now, look, I'm glad you didn't kill him. Daniel Zavato is giving a great performance, and he and Mackenzie Davis are really great together. Yeah. I really enjoy their anti-chemistry. But I think that that, w- that part was a little more confusing than I would have liked. But um, but ultimately, yeah, it's just, I, at the beginning of Six, I was like, I, I you know, am I, am I bumping a little bit for the first time after being carried along just so effortlessly? And then it got weird and trippy again in a way that I was just, and, and then and that's the airport, you know, and then they're in yeah. quarantine and they want to see their friends and it, you feel it, you know, we, Lori Petty's performance is so odd. It's so lived in and unexpected that all, you're completely invested in her and where she's going. And, and so much of this is casting. Him it kind of goes back and, to what we were saying though, about like the Boba Fett yeah. stuff where it's like you cast somebody and you have them create this fully lived in character. And then you only show that character for one eighth of the time. And so that when they're on screen, you're like, I can't keep my eyes off this person. I can't take my eyes off this person. I can't stop thinking about them, but I don't need to know everything. 
Or think about the fact that this show didn't have a traditional release, but it has been staggered, so people couldn't binge all of it. And Navan Rizwan as Frank and Himesh Patel as Jeevan. Two Brits, by the way. Mm-hmm. Jesus, stop. What, what, do we need to put in tariffs? Like, they're just better than us? <laughs> it's embarrassing, honestly. Um, are so phenomenal with this quiet charisma in these parts, but we haven't seen them in a while. You know, the show just puts them on ice. And then all of a sudden, you're so excited to have more time with them, you know, and to see what they're capable of. Um, I, Chris, you've been to the East Coast more recently than I have. So maybe you can weigh in on this. How long is winter? <laughs> I, I well, mean, sincerely. We, I mean, Chicago is a different beast, though. Yeah, I just feel like I, I got to get the I got to get the math because I believe the show it drops starts around in December, Christmas, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's like so it's about to happen, but then it's just I've like been in Whoa, things in got March, and it's been cold as hell. Okay, because they're like it's day eighty, and it's like outside. The only thing you can see is Jack London being like, "Oh, I got a good one for this." Like it is. <laughs> It is gnarly outside. Um, we can wrap it up there. Uh, Greenwell, we'll be back on Thursday, probably to talk a little bit more Station Eleven as those next two episodes drop, I believe. And then, yeah, well, I'm sure we'll have other stuff to chat about. There's a bunch of stuff coming back in the next couple of weeks. Euphoria, Ozark, there's a bunch of things on the horizon. Righteous Gemstones. Hey. Oh, I forgot. I forgot the... Wait, we can talk about it next time. We, we didn't really do the, like, movie roundup. Yeah, of, let's of, do that of, on Thursday. Because, guys... I saw a movie. It was so good. And it wasn't Spider-Man. I, I mean, I saw, I saw like the alpha and omega of the theatrical experience for me. I saw <laughs> Spider-Man No Way Home. And a few days later, I saw Drive My Car. Both <laughs> almost three hours. Both absolutely like just existential reasons to go to the movie theater. And I love them both. Yeah. So we'll, we'll cover some movies. We'll cover a bunch of stuff on Thursday. Thanks to Kai McMullen for producing. We're out. We're out. Happy New Year, Baranskis. That's it. Trish just ends the show. It's over. <laughs> Go home. Show's over. <laughs>